imagine Patrick Swayze is two people over from you at a bar, you would just leave. If you, didn't, <laughs> if you thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to try to like meet a girl tonight and then Patrick Swayze was there, you'd either say, I'm going to try to hook up with Patrick Swayze or you'd go home. Yeah. Like that, those are your options. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada, and we're back with a new season of feminist media criticism goodness. Last season, Kat and AC Lamberty looked at portrayals of masculinity in movies and TV with the machos fully loaded. Strap in and strap on. <laughs> yeah. It was an amazing <laughs> miniseries that you have to check out if you haven't already. Um, but, you know... Y'all didn't talk nearly enough about Patrick Swayze. This is something I'll be, I'll be, you know, atoning for for the rest of my life. But today, Anita and I are discussing the 1989 action classic Roadhouse. Now, if you're tuning in for a conversation about the 1948 noir drama Roadhouse starring Ida Lupino, don't worry. We discussed that film in our Hollywood by the Decade season last year, and you can listen to that at the link in our show notes. No, today we are here to follow Patrick Swayze, our number one man, as Dalton, a professional cooler who's lured to Jasper, Missouri to clean up a bar called the Double Deuce, whose owner is dismayed by the rough image it's developed with brawls, theft, and drug dealing and nightly occurrence. Dalton becomes the center of the town's battle between good and evil, facing off against Ben Gazzara as the villain Wesley, and joined by fellow bouncer Sam Elliott and sexy lady doctor, played by <laughs> Kelly Lynch. <laughs> All right, before we get into Roadhouse, which I'm so excited to talk about, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. So we've been doing little experiments here at Feminist Frequency Radio where we do little mini-series, we bring on guests, try different things. Um, and we are going to reformat the podcast just a little bit moving forward. And Kat, you are going to take over as the sole host of Feminist Frequency Radio. I feel extremely honored to be entrusted with this podcast, Anita. Yeah, um, I think but- you are amazing and have brought so much to this podcast. Um, and I will, I will be around, just not quite as frequently. Yeah, you'll be hearing Anita more later this season, and uh, we're going to, for this season, it's going to be mostly a classic format feminist frequency, just uh, talking about either a movie that's just come out or that's really exciting, uh, one that we want to talk about that's from 1989, like today. Um, And every other week will be sort of a mini episode, a fortnightly freakout, that's what I'm calling it right now. Um, And that'll be a little bit more of like, news you can use, what's happening in media, what's coming out this week, what are we paying attention to. Um, So there will be guests, there will be different themes, there will be, you know, a return to a a week where we talk about machos, a return to a week where we have other topics that we want to dive into on media criticism. But um, I'm excited and hopeful that our listeners and community will keep being awesome. I hope so too, because uh, you're so good. You're so good. (laughs) I loved listening to the Macho series. I thought it was excellent and super, super enjoyed it. So I know that we're entrusting the podcast to you in good hands. I'm going to, I'm just taking a little, I'm tired. Y'all, I'm tired. I'm going to take a little break so that I don't have to be solely responsible for the podcast and let Kat, who I think is really like energized and pumped to do some media criticism podcasting. And then, you know, I take a little rest and 
maybe I'll be back. Who knows? Look, we take pop culture very seriously <laughs> in the Cat Spada household. And uh, it's, I've been very lucky that we've been able to do this and have fun with it and also get deep on stuff that, uh, you know, isn't necessarily what academics are writing about, but I think they should be. And this is where we're all going. So I was really excited when we decided to start the season off. And I was like, what should we talk about? Like, you know, I there's big movies right now, Spider-Verse. We could talk about stuff that's like in the zeitgeist. <laughs> but then I thought... Anita and I need to spend some quality time with Patrick Mr. Patrick Swayze. Swayze. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always <laughs> want to spend quality time with Mr. Patrick Swayze. I was like, I don't know if I have time to watch this before we're recording because we sort of decided to record kind of last minute. And um, and I was like, I know this movie so fucking well <laughs> that I don't even need to rewatch it. But I did. And I'm so glad I did because I'm always glad to watch this fucking batshit, totally zany makes no sense movie like you this is a movie for those who haven't seen it where you can't ask questions about logic you need to just Mm. accept that there is an internal logic to the film itself that does not make sense in our universe right right this is a a jasper missouri that is entirely centralized around like a power struggle that makes I, I could not tell you. Thing is, I've seen this movie several times. <laughs> I did watch it again last night. By the end of it, I was like, I still don't know what the deal is with the villain <laughs> or why <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> I watched it with but my yet- roommate and he was just like, but why? The-? And I was like, stop asking fucking questions, dude. <laughs> this is not a questions asking movie. <laughs> Although I decided last night that this is a James Bond movie. Oh, mm. like it doesn't have it doesn't have high tech. So that's maybe the one like real qualifying thing that's different. But he is a mis- he has a mysterious past. He is a man with a special set of skills that he goes from place to place to like take on a new assignment. And there's a, a Bond girl in Our Lady Doctor. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's this villain who's like throwing lavish parties, but his motives are completely unintelligible. He has really like well characterized henchmen, and there's a lot of cars in this movie. And I feel like Bond movies have a lot of cars. Yeah, so. I yeah, I can completely see that. You should definitely sell it to people as a Bond movie and see how they react. <laughs> I was looking at the Wikipedia page, and there's a couple of quotes. Uh, that are very much like people can't decide if it's a bad movie or a good bad movie, right? Like they're very right. on the fence. Like people don't really like this film. Uh, I completely understand why they're wrong, but I don't understand <laughs> why. I mean, I understand it. And there's one quote. I don't, I have no idea what it was from. It was just on Wikipedia that said, whether Roadhouse is simply bad or so bad it's good depends largely on the audience's fondness for Swayze and tolerance for violently cheesy action. And I was like, that is such a succinct, perfect way of explaining the response and reaction to this movie. Yeah. And like, I think that it's extremely enjoyable and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good, bad movie, right? Like, But there are so many, like, I think what's interesting about this one is there are great Patrick Swayze movies. You and I have talked about, we've probably watched Dirty Dancing more times than, for me, more times than any other movie. Same. Um, 
And I know that movie backwards and forwards. This movie I've seen, I don't know, four or five times. I remember a lot of scenes very well, but like as a movie, it is, it is less than the sum of its parts. Maybe. Yeah. It is definitely in the trifecta, the Swayze trifecta, which you all might remember. (laughs) Uh, this is definitely like the bottom of the trifecta, you know, like yeah, it's, 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 a, third, it's an inverted, sure. yeah. <laughs> inverted triangle with point break and dirty dancing, like towards the heavens yeah. <laughs> roadhouse deep in the dirt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's get into this because so, <laughs> so when I talk about this film having no logic or like, you can't ask questions about it, like it is a movie about like famous bouncers like, like known along the lands, uh, bar to bar across the South, uh, famous bouncers. I also learned, uh, from this movie that the head bouncer is called cooler. Uh-huh. I think that's very funny. Um, but there's something so like, if you can lose yourself at the beginning of this movie and just accept that there are famous bouncers who are trained, who have mentors, who like are just like so rock solid in what they do that they are sought out. If you can accept that as a fact, then you can accept this movie, you know? These famous bouncers are like Ronin. Like <laughs> they are samurais who have their reputations precede them. They're they're most successful when they're able to access like meditative skill. <laughs> yeah, it starts. I love, I really loved in this viewing, the character played by Kevin Ty, who's like the owner of the Double Deuce, who spends the whole opening scene just like me and Muggin, Patrick Swayze, following him around a bar in New York and just like salivating. Like this guy is going to save my bar. And it, he's just looking at him like, like he's a celebrity, you know? Oh my God, I'm seeing this guy. And, and if I can persuade him to come help me. There's also one bar in each town, I guess. And that's where all the action happens. And that's where the one cooler needs to be. What's interesting, once he gets to the double deuce, and like, finally, we understand what is a cooler and how, what is the hierarchy of bouncers and coolers, is that like, he's there hopefully to not have to do anything. If he does his job right, then like the bouncers take care of business and the bartenders don't steal from the till or whatever but uh you know he has a fight like a brawl a ridiculous brawl these are like insane <laughs> fights so i think it's we gotta set this up a little bit because so the yeah. double deuce is the bar that he that's the the ta- the bar in the town that the whole story is centered around and you um you go into the bar and uh one it's the um the Jeff Henley band, if I remember his name, uh-huh. who is a ama- wonderful and amazing. And like, they're really so, good. so good. And so like, that's such a treat in this movie. They're like the house band. They're behind a, a screw, like a, a, a fence. And everybody yeah. is like sexualizing or hit like pun, literally punching women or fighting each other or like breaking beer bottle. Like it is absolute chaos. And you're like, why would anyone ever go to this bar? Right? Like it is, it is so absurdly comical. And like Dalton walks in and he's just like, I'm cool. I'm just taking in my environment. I'm just like learning things and observing because I got an eyes all around my head, you know, like vibe. And then when someone learns who he is, it's like, oh my God, that's Dalton. It's Dalton. Do you know that it's Dalton? Holy shit. It's, 
Like, why would this bar even have a band? Why would they pay know. for like six live musicians who are on staff? Because they're like at team meetings. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're not just like a band that's gigging. They are employed by this double deuce to they never miss a beat while people are throwing beer bottles at their at, at the f- grate at the fence in front of them. The yeah, the the violence against women in this is so like it starts out really casual, like very just like, oh, well, we're all here fighting in a bar. And some of that might mean knocking this woman off her stool or like groping this woman for what some reason. Then it gets like really pointed and intense, I think, later in the movie where it's like, no, we want to show you that this woman is being beaten. But in the setup, it it almost makes it seem like this is such a Wild West type of place that like even the women are violent. I kind of get that sense. Yeah. And there's a lot like this movie is like there's a lot of sexualization of women. Like there's a scene to like there are many scenes to show how like bad this bar is. And one of them is this guy who's like he he's with a woman and he asks another guy if he wants to touch her tits or kiss her tits, her boobs, yeah. her breasts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and um you're just and, quoting the movie. <laughs> and um and so the guy it's like this movie goes in and out of extremely cartoonish. And so the guy yeah. just goes and starts fondling this woman with this like like ridiculous grin on his face and like big eyes being like, Oh my God, boobs. Right. And then right. like, he doesn't, he's like, do you, were well, you going to kiss him or not? And he's like, Nope, I don't have the money. And then like a, a fight ensues. And then everybody is beating everybody up at this point. And so it's like just showing like the escalation happens so slowly. I mean, so quickly based on one or two yeah. things. And there's just a lot of like mat, like macho toxic masculinity confrontations, that caused the violence. And so there's a there's an interesting dynamic that happens here where like Patrick Swayze's violence is acceptable and everybody mm. else's isn't. And this changes, yeah. but not really if you like actually break it down. So there's yeah. you know, like there's a line in the movie where um, you know, they're talking about like who wins a fight and Swayze's like, nobody ever wins a fight. And I'm like, that's right. fucking deep and great and true, you know, like that is actually yeah. true. But like this movie does not believe that, <laughs> you know? You're right, right. <laughs> it's a very like, there's something, wow, am I about to like completely talk sh- bullshit? But there's something very like Eastern tradition about Dalton. Like we see him doing Tai Chi, but also I feel like that's a very like traditional martial arts perspective about fighting, which is that like you should know how to be the best fighter that you can be, but you should never get into a fight if at all possible. Yeah. And that all fights are like inherently bad. Like, I think there's kind of part of that, but he, yeah, I mean, he's, his actions are always defended by some line of exposition. That's either like, Oh, there was self-defense involved or um, he was left no other choice. Like that's kind of where he's at. It's not that he has this like burning, you know, thirst for for violence that other characters have but like he definitely does <laughs> yeah absolutely and like you know there's this whole thing of like when a gun is pulled on you it's you or them and like and he's feeling tortured because he had previous spoilers whatever you know how this podcast goes um he had previously ripped out someone's throat uh in self-defense uh because a gun was pulled on him and then foreshadowing this also happens again later in the movie right and so like 
there's there's in, this... in self-defense because he was sleeping with a woman who did not tell him she was married so the, the previous husband one, yeah. pulled yeah. the gun yeah, the previous one yeah yeah um, and then the other one was like well he fucking chased that guy down and started fighting him after he burned down his house so you know like gray a little gray area there but um, I think there's something I think we we should get into the 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 violent stuff. But I want to talk about Swayze in this movie because the Tai Chi moment. I was like, this is a way to show off Patrick Swayze's body as a beautiful dancer uh-huh. without actually dancing because his character wouldn't dance, mm. right? Um, and right. I he's he's shirtless a lot. <laughs> he's naked several times. If you freeze, if you pause, you see his penis for a minute. <laughs> you see his butt. Oh, and. I think that this movie very much epitomizes what I was talking about on the bonus episode of the, the machos wrap up where like he is, he is strong and capable and fit and will use violence, but doesn't want to. And it has a philosophy degree. So he's a little bit tender and, and could be like minorly vulnerable, almost sometimes in interpersonal situations, barely. And like, the tension of why that is kind of a problem to be attracted to in terms of attraction Mm. to masculinity. This character completely epitomizes that in my mind. That's really, really an acute point because this is a movie where we get to see him desired also. Like that's not just, it's not just a movie where this man is masculine doing masculine things. Like there is a lot of, people desiring him in this and he is seen that way i mean the farmer landlord like <laughs> wiggles his eyebrows and gulps a couple of times when yeah. he sees him so <laughs> um but like his colleague his co-worker who's like a, a bartender at the bar, she's always like super Carrie underrated she's like gets to see dalton's butt one morning and she's just like oh lucky me yeah that's that's how i felt yeah and then there's his sort of girlfriend in this movie who is like pursuing him and is very happy to just like you know it's pretty clear this is not going to be a long-term relationship and she's just like yeah dalton's in town (laughs) i get to enjoy that for a few days but like when she actually is confronted by like the true depth of his violence She's horrified by it. Yeah. Um, also, she's a doctor, and I do think that throws into the mix, like, at the, when he kills that guy, she r- races to him, to the the dead man, to try to see if she can help in a very, like, Hippocratic Oath sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> and then is just like, I got to get away from this. This is terrifying. And that feels, like, too real for this movie, almost. Yeah, kind of. You're, And also, because of what's happening... There's, I feel like a gut reaction is like, he's dead. What are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I I definitely had a reaction of like, oh, whatever, you know, like to, to her behavior, which I don't think is necessarily like a healthy reaction. I think it's kind of the film trying to create tension, but kind of, you know, we're on, it's really hard not to be on Dalton's side with this because they make the villains so comically villainous that you're like, of course he has to take them out. You know, yeah. of course he's going to be angry. Of course he's like, this guy is like burning down his town to make a point about how he is the ultimate arbiter of power and everything that happens in this town and anyone against him is going to be destroyed in the most extreme way. It 
That's where back, like you were saying, this just doesn't exist in our universe. Like this is an alternate universe of this town. There's so many explosions that happen or like arson. Like there is just a, uh, shock and awe level of like assault that this villain does against the town. But also there's stuff like where you think a normal kind of confrontation will go just gets escalated instantaneously. So I guess the kind of inciting incident for everything that happens is Dalton comes in to clean up the double deuce. He's like, look, a couple people need to be fired. They've been dealing, they've been stealing. They're not cut out to be bouncers, whatever. One of them is the bartender who's the nephew of the villain. And he comes back with like a lawyer or something and is like, you can't actually fire me because all the alcohol comes from my uncle. And you think this is going to be a meeting that's just like, hey, you know, we're going to have to figure something out, buddy. And instead, everyone p- pulls a two-inch knife, <laughs> like two foot, a two-foot knife, like a humongous buoy knife out. And it just instantly turns into like a blood-drawn people being thrown through windows. <laughs> like literally, literally. Yeah. The body count on this movie you is like shockingly low compared to how much people are like stabbing each other yeah. all the time. It is it, it is it is an extremely violent movie that's so cheesy it's sort of hard to take seriously as a violent movie, yeah. you know. Um one thing I was ob- ob- just observing in this mm-hmm. watch through is and this is such an old lady comment but like I miss practical effects. Yeah. You know, like you watch this movie and you're like, these are all practical. That house is on fucking fire and it's out. That shot is out of focus. And I kind of love it. You know, like the car driving, ramming through it's like everything is practical. And I'm like the squibs, which is the bullet shots, um, where Mm -hmm. it like explode, the blood explodes when, when you get shot, like they're squibs, they're not CGI. And so like, there's just, there was such a joy in watching like this is such wild filmmaking, you know, like that they were yeah. literally doing these things, you know? The stunt performers are incredible. Like there's acrobatics, there's martial arts, but then, yeah, like the scene where uh, the doctor says something like, you're trying to protect the town from him, but who's going to protect the town from you? And then it behind her head, something explodes. I was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. It's actually like a really well shot and moment here. Absolutely. And I, what, which that line doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Because uh, <laughs> he's not, he hasn't like caused problems or any, you know, no. like it's whatever. Um, but uh, the in terms of the acrobatics, like I think what is, Swayze is what is appealing about this movie. Absolutely. Like him as the actor in this fucking ridiculous role, like he, he plays it fine. You know, like nobody, uh, I, I think there's a couple of actors in it that are great, but I think everyone's just like very mediocre in this movie for the most mm-hmm. part, but his, his dance, um, background makes his, the choreography of the fight scenes fucking beautiful to watch. Like yeah. not only is his body like lean and tight and muscular, but he'll do these like roundhouse kicks that look like a fucking pirouette or like, that yeah. are like these ballet moves that are just like fight scenes. And it's really like beautiful to watch. I wonder, there's also a lot of discussion. Like I said, people desire him, but also everyone talks about how they thought he'd be bigger. Mm -hmm. That's like a joke, a recurring joke in the movie. Oh, you're Dalton? I thought you'd be bigger. Your line of work? I thought you'd be bigger. And 
there's a lot of opportunities where he's like fighting multiple guys or he's fighting some like seven foot tall man and he's like oh yeah if you just like kick someone in the side of the knee you can take anyone down which first of all if that's the case you probably don't need to be ripping so many throats out (laughs) secondly (laughs) like there's something about his that he's so compact and like he's even a little bit like some of his outfits are almost like uh, not effeminate, but like fancy. Yeah, you know he's a, he's a city boy in like a pleated linen pant. And there's moments there where I think that's supposed to be the the surprise of this character is that he can then drag a bunch of guys out into the dirt and like absolutely demolish everyone. Yeah. Um, you made a note of a line. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to read it because it's fucking funny. It's so stupid. Do you want to read it? <laughs> <laughs> which one because okay. a lot of yeah. my my notes were fan fiction yeah <laughs> so um cat took a lot of notes but the one of the so this movie is full of absurd <laughs> yes, lines like okay. I, did, I i you actually took a lot more notes than i did but one of them was in the vein of like literally this joke about i thought you would be bigger happens again and again and again and so one guy who's like being a being an asshole about it said, I heard you had balls big enough to come in a dump truck, but uh, you don't look like much to me. And then he just replies, opinions vary. <laughs> opinions vary. He's like, I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I might just, I might just have balls that big. You'll see. Yeah. There are some lines in this that it's like, Okay, what's uh, the director? Rowdy Harrington. I feel like Rowdy Harrington had a point of view. I don't know that the screenwriter did, but that's okay. Um, But there are some lines where I'm like, this is just supposed to be like a funny throwaway line, but watching it, you know, 35 whatever years later, I'm like, oh shit, this is like really deep in the everything we were getting into in the Machos season. And one that is very you know, stereotypical in this type of language is I used to fuck guys like you in prison. Yes. In the middle of a fight scene is what, when this happened. And I feel like we should spend a minute on that because we all know we've talked about like the, any oblique references to like sex between men or rape between men in prison is like about power. And it's not necessarily about homosexuality or like sexual attraction. But there's something about, like, these are just two guys having a fight. There's no audience. It's not like he's saying this to get other people riled up like the other guys in the bar might be doing. Where it's like, what are you saying here? Like, now, I know that that line was written just to be like, haha, this guy's really kind of crazy and, and, and a fighter or whatever. But looking at it now, I was just like... I don't know. I feel like this guy is actually saying something about like, hey, you might be beautiful. You might be like, <laughs> you might be God's gift, but like, I will destroy you. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's something yeah, there. Yeah, it definitely, the line is definitely a, uh, like, a, a homophobic joke, like a prison rape jokes that happen very frequently in like 80s and 90s media. Um, and is definitely, like you said, to reiterate this guy being bad. Like, I think that... I think it's not like it feels very much like some like a quote unquote creative way to mention that he was in prison to show just how bad he is because his single earring isn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) But 
But um, there's a there. It, it is delivered so weird, like you're saying, or like in the moment that it's delivered and how it's delivered. So I don't want to under I don't want to undervalue how homophobic and shitty it was. But when yeah. it's delivered, I was like, well, I would fuck Patrick Swayze in prison, too. You know, like <laughs> I was like, that sounds great. Like, but not actually in terms of the prison thing. Yeah. But it was just there's something about the way it was done that you're like, OK, cool. Like, did cool, you know, whatever. There's something about like I've I've referenced this a few times, like when Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a movie and we're just supposed to walk around in this movie as if that's just like a normal person that exists in the universe. When like bodybuilders at their peak are unusual, like they are if you spotted a bodybuilder working at Starbucks, you would be like, oh, wow, (laughs) that's a bodybuilder, you know, Um Patrick Swayze is not a bodybuilder, right? But he moves through this world in a way that every single character is like, oh, that's Patrick Swayze. That's Dalton. And there's this one moment. This is when I knew we were really in for it at the Double Deuce. I was like, man, this place is out of control. He shows up. He's standing at the bar. A beautiful woman kind of sidles up next to him. And some drunk guy on the other side of the beautiful woman decides in that moment to take his shot. And I was like... Imagine Patrick Swayze is two people over from you at a bar. You would just leave. If you, <laughs> if you thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to try to like meet a girl tonight. And then Patrick Swayze was there. You'd either say, I'm going to try to hook up with Patrick Swayze or you'd go home. Yeah. Like that, those are your options. Those are totally your options. And also she was hitting on Patrick Swayze. So this guy's like going to do that in the middle of this way, whatever. Okay. So these arms of mine. You made a note. So interesting fact, these arms of mine is what is playing in Dirty Dancing when he hooks up with Baby for the first time. Uh, And so it's really jarring to me when I watch this and hear that song in this same scene, which is a aggressively inferior sex scene. I hate this sex scene so much. I think it is so bad in so many ways. First of all, um, bless what's her face, uh, the doctor, Kelly but Lynch. She looks like they do this cat and mouse thing where he is like mm. he's moving towards her and she's moving away from him. And I, I bet you the blocking was that way so that there's movement in the shot, but it looks predatory. It looks right. super creepy. And then he like pushes her against a wall. It's clearly consensual, but that wall is like a a stone wall with bridges sticking out of it. So there's no fucking way fucking on that wall is comfortable. And she looks horrified. Like she does (laughs) not look like she's having a good time, which I don't think was intentional. I think it was just an incredibly uncomfortable situation. Like the way that they kiss is awful. The way that like just everything about that moment, I'm like, what a shame. What a shame that this is the payoff, (laughs) you know? I read today that Annette Benning was almost cast as the female lead here, uh, but she did not have as good chemistry with Patrick Swayze. So they recast her with Kelly Lynch. And I just thought, did he have good chemistry with <laughs> Kelly Lynch in this movie? Like that sex scene is so weird. And part of this is just like 1989. I was, I was a young child. I cannot speak to the culture at the time, but like, she looks awful. She looks awful in every scene. And I was like, I could not honestly tell you if this is a conventionally attractive person. I assume she is. <laughs> but her hair and wardrobe are so bad. so bad. That one dress she wears looks like a fucking tablecloth. 
in this sex scene, it's just like, I, I should be listening to Otis Redding, looking at Patrick Swayze with his lover, and I should be in a barn with like kind of a beautiful open window. Beautiful house. I'm so jealous of this house. It's like in Anaheim, apparently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But instead, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, she's got the tan line from those like 80s bathing suits going on. Like, that's what I'm focusing on in this scene because it's so kind of poorly constructed and they don't look like they're... I mean, this, I think, was just what sex scenes in a time before intimacy coordinators and a time when nobody gave a shit about, like, this is... Because intimacy coordinators are not just for the safety of the performer, but also to bring realism and authenticity to sex scenes. And instead, it's just like, I don't believe that Dalton would have sex like this. I don't know. It's just, they wanted to show that he could lift a woman up. I yeah. think that was it. And, and it, yeah, um, and it just, it just, and I have no problem with the like fucking against the wall or like that kind of movement. It's just, it didn't work. It, it like, it looked bad. Yeah. It just was gross. Um, speaking of Anaheim, there is a shot, an exterior shot of the town where it says like California something, something on one of the buildings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Oh, somebody fucked up and didn't see that when they put that in the movie. He was clearly shot in California, you know? So we've been jumping around between like the sex and the violence and the Patrick Swayze. So I also want to talk about Sam Elliott because (laughs) I, I'm sorry to tell you this, like, he is, I think, sexier in this movie than Patrick Swayze. Like, Patrick Swayze is beautiful in this movie, but Sam Elliott, every line delivery, I'm like, I was, my heart so, was beating. My my roommate literally said the same thing. Like, Sam Elliott came on and he was like, who's that? I was like, it's Sam Elliott. He's like, holy fuck, he looks so good. And I was like, yeah, yeah he looks great in this movie. He is like an old weathered bouncer. He's very bearded, very like lot big hair, just like like really thin, like le- like like um what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like just very lengthy, le- le- yeah, very lanky. Yeah. The only time Dalton like actually looks has any joy in his eye, like mm. sincere joy, is when he's with his mentor Wade, which played by Sam Elliott, and their relationship is so lovely. And like, like the camaraderie and the care and like the, the affection that they have for each other, uh, like that, I, I don't know. I like enjoyed them together in this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because Dalton is going from city to city and he doesn't put down roots and he has to, you know, have his trunk full of extra tires because his car gets destroyed by, uh, people who hate him all the time. Yeah, like, to see that he does have a... Well, he has a friend in the guy who's in the band that, like, they've worked together at some point in the past. And that's also very charming just to see the two of them have a little rapport. But that he has, like, a friend who truly knows him is a very sweet scene about, I don't know, two-thirds into the movie. Um, But also, absolutely, when he shows up in his car with Sam Elliott in the passenger seat... And the doctor kind of looks in the passenger window. I was like, she thinks they're going to have a threesome. And she looks elated. <laughs> I, I love. So she walks up. She walks. She, they're picking her up from her from the hospital, from her job. And she leans down on the mm-hmm. edge of the passenger side window and says, hi. And then everyone starts laughing 
And then it cuts away and it is so awkward and it is totally yeah. like, we're going to have fun tonight. And you're like, really, absolutely. That that's not what happens. You know, you can't convince me they didn't film that scene <laughs> and it just didn't make it into the, into the R rated movie. But one thing that maybe also strengthened my James Bond feeling about this is that every conversation Dalton has is people asking him questions about himself. Like all of it is he is so mysterious to people. He's known, but everyone wants to ask him, how did he get into this? How is it that you're not bigger? What is it that you do? Why, you know, how do you expect us to do this without he never really is engaging with anyone else. Like he has some flirtatious conversations with the doctor, but generally it's just like, I I am of this world, but I am not (laughs) among it. Like that's kind of also something that I feel like not a lot of actors could let you could do that and have you still be on their side. Yeah. And that's what Patrick Swayze always, he's doing that in all the other movies in the trifecta too. Like, He's there, but he's also transcends, uh, he transcends the cat skills. He transcends the surf culture. Yeah. I mean, I think as Bodhi and Point Break, like he, he's, he's not, he's, he's not like the primary character in that movie. Like he, he, you know, supporting, but he's not a supporting character either. But anyways, he's not the star star of that movie, but he's the star of that fucking movie. Like he really, every time he's on camera, he's so magnetic and like it, and especially as that, like as Bodhi, he, I think he plays that role amazingly. Um, the other I'd, I'd add to your bond argument is like the villain is so villainous in every way. <laughs> like it was like, what are all the tropes of a villain? Let's just drop them all in here. And we were talking at the beginning about violence against women. There is a scene where he clearly uses this woman that like is his maybe wife. I don't know. She's around. She quote unquote belongs to him in some capacity. And he like lets her do a strip tease, uh, like lets her, right. He's like, you can go dance now. And she does this like strip tease on stage at the bar. And then, um, later at another point you see her, or I, I think my timing is wrong. I think these weren't before, but at another point you see her like with a black eye, like she clearly got beat up either by him or the henchman or whatever. And it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, you're just adding, you're using violence against women to show us how bad this guy is because he's real, real bad, right? And Mm -hmm. in contrast to the violence against women in the beginning of the movie, it didn't feel like violence against women. It felt like a brawl, like people in a brawl. And this is like actually gendered violence. Um, And I, I have no tolerance for using, exploiting women's bodies as a way to just show evilness, you know, like as background decoration. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't serve a purpose. Exactly. Like it's not like, oh, this is her, her story finally. No, and it's, it's not just like, like we don't already know he's evil at this point, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. Um, there were, I mean, we, I, I feel like I can probably skim past like most of the final set piece, honestly, and like whatever resolution of the plot. But as you mentioned about like practical effects and what makes this movie, I think so memorable and, kind of, I feel like very indicative of an entire genre or like decade of filmmaking is stuff like they spent half a million dollars to build a monster truck and have it drive over a bunch of cars. Like the big uh, stuffed polar bear that 
falls on a guy and there's like a five minute a five minute like uh, (laughs) (laughs) that was so and he just stands there shooting at this thing instead of stepping one foot aside and it's fucking (laughs) movie magic right like that thank you thank you for not cutting away in this moment you know yeah Yeah. there's just so many pieces like that where it reminds me of like that era of like can you believe they gave us a couple million dollars to make a movie? Patrick Swayze's going to be in it. What else can we do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> does another rail of coke, and then like, <laughs> there should be. <laughs> do we know anyone who can do a monster truck? <laughs> so the monster tar- truck part is like, it's a it's a monster truck that runs over a bunch of cars to uh, to to destroy a car de- a local car dealer's business, and it is like. When that happens, you're like, oh, that's what this movie is. Like, if you didn't (laughs) already know, right? Like, it was all hinting towards this moment, but you're like, yeah, we're just going to have this. And the truck you see in the movie ahead of time, and you kind of go like, okay, whatever, buddy. And then this huge monster truck moment happens, and you're like... And then fucking the doctor, she's so annoying. She, (laughs) She walks up to him, and she's like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. And then that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you doing this? You know? So that was, okay. (laughs) This was like, again, my final grasp at like looking at for meaning in this movie (laughs) is like, does Roadhouse have something to say about class? Because I think there are movies that have wealthy villains that aren't doing that. But like the fact, the whole part where it's like Dalton could just leave. Like all these people hate Dalton. He could just leave, go to a new city and let these people, if they want to cannibalize themselves, none of his business. But he has this like honor feeling that he can't do that. And it ends up like that gives him a little Robin Hood vibe of just like, no, if I don't stay and fight, then all these town pe- townspeople are going to always be victimized by this guy, Wesley. So then at the end of the movie... You know, and like, I think 10 years later, maybe the movie would say like, cause this guy's a developer and he's closing out all of the independently owned businesses or whatever. They'd have some explanation. But at the end of the movie, Dalton like is about to rip out another throat <laughs> of Wesley, the villain. And he has this claw hand where you're like, oh no, it's Dalton's patented throat ripping move. <laughs> Which I still like, I actually, I was like, I don't know. Like I have is kind of sharp possible? fingernails. I, I have no, I've, I don't think so, but who am I to doubt Patrick Swayze? Um, but then he decides not to kill him and then all the townspeople kill him instead. And that is this moment of like, oh, I guess Dalton's part of something. Like, <laughs> like he was on his own journey, but he like did, doesn't matter if he was doing any of this for his own honor versus like, I'm here because I can defend or protect these people. And also she like immediately forgave him and was like, Oh, you didn't murder this one. That's nice. (laughs) Um, I, the class thing is interesting because Dalton is fucking rich. He makes like at least six figures by the math of the movie in in, in the 80s when, you know, this is supposed to be set. Um, So he is also wealthy, not as wealthy, but pretty extremely wealthy because he pays $100 a month in rent sometimes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And only because the landlord who has a crush on him says, if I don't charge you something, 
the Presbyterians are going to come knock on my door, which yeah. I was like, oh, because they're going to say you're gay. Is that what that line is? I don't know, but I love this. Uh, it doesn't them. matter. And then he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, you got a lady up there? And he was like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he was like, uh-huh, cool. Uh-huh. Um, I think the class stuff, I think you're right. It would have been more apparent um, in future iterations of this kind of storytelling. It's really not like, it's it's not primary in the story. I think yeah. the like does being like I think the issues around violence and whether violence is good or bad, whether it is neutral, whether like it, everyone has access to violence and it's what you do with it that matters. Like I think that that's really if we're going to say that this movie has any fucking message other than like explodey explosions and Patrick yeah. Swayze's beautiful body. Um <laughs> I think that that's what they're trying to do here is like, what, what does violence beget? How does it take you over? How does it like destroy your life? Yada, yada, you know? Well, Dalton, the cooler has three simple rules (laughs) that he wants all these bouncers to abide by. And it's like, who cares? Okay. Don't be cocky. Take it outside. So we don't destroy the bar, but then be nice until it's time to not be nice. I think that's ultimately your message about what is violence for. And it's like, well, hopefully you don't have to get involved in it. But when you do, because you will, just take no prisoners. And then there's that fucking scene. Sorry, I know you're doing a wrap-up and I'm ruining it, but um, (laughs) they're like, be nice. And the guy's like, he's like, even if someone calls you a cocksucker, you be nice. And the guy's like, but, but how I'm so affronted <laughs> if someone does that. And then there was another line right after that about like, if your mom is a whore and then Dalton's like, well, is she and yeah. you're like, Oh my God, what is this fucking scene right now? You know, <laughs> like, it's just, you're like trying to make a point and then you're kind of undermining your point in, you know, it was just, anyways, I love this fucking movie. It's so, it's so, it's very, it's a very trash movie, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it just works. It's like, it knows what it is. It does what it sets out to do. I think it is like in its own universe, it's consistent in its own logic. And it's just kind of fun in this like really silly way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, over the years, there's always that, uh, there's been a big draw towards like the movies that are so bad. They're that they're good or like the ones that you you've got to see, you've got to see goblin two or whatever. Like you will almost certainly have a good time watching this movie because there's enough there. I mean, there's enough in just Sam Elliott dancing with this Ugh. woman. Well, and the way creepy, he's like, but yes, it, if you read it line, as not creepy, if you, the only way to read it is not creepy as if they're like a triple. Right. You know, <laughs> but she says like, oh, is this the moment where you're going to tell me how great a guy Dalton is? And he's like, no, I want you for myself. But he's saying that like Dalton's sitting right there. And I was yeah. like, this is just like, there's charm. I guess that's it. There's charm in this movie in between like ridiculous, like wet bikini contest, monster truck, stab, stab, stab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Well, I know we probably spoiled it for you all if you haven't seen this movie, but I highly recommend seeing it. Um, and also go watch the uh, 1940s Roadhouse movie, which is not about bouncers at a club, but also like a great film that I was surprised ha- about back in the back in the that 
Hollywood. Yeah, episodes. double feature. Yeah, double double Roadhouse <laughs> feature. <laughs> All right, y'all. We will be back with some freakouts. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Anita, what are you freaking out about? Um, I'm freaking out about sex lies and videotape. Oh, um, yeah. You've really been going through those, uh, yeah. those late 80s, early 90s sexy movies. I have been. So I, as are many people, are listening to the podcast, You Must Remember This, which I've talked about on this podcast many times. And um, she did a erotic 80s series and the erotic 90s series is happening right now. And so I've been like, like, I don't always watch the movies before I listen to the episodes or anything, but like, there's some movies that she's talking about that I've been like, I've been meaning to watch these movies. Mm -hmm. And there's something interesting about how there are films that I've heard of that are not great for women or not portraying women well. And so there's something interesting about going into a film knowing that reality and how it Mm -hmm. changes the way you approach the film or engage with the film, right? Like if I know that that's what's going to happen, I can look at more of it. Whereas if I'm being caught off guard that this thing is happening, I'm kind of get hyper-focused on like, oh, what is this representation? What does it mean? What's happening? Where is this going? So my experience of watching these movies, I think is really interesting. So I've been watching Basic Instinct and Indecent Proposal, which are like classics of this genre that are like kind of erotic thrillers, um, you know, made years after each other. But uh, if you listen to this podcast, they talk a lot about like all of the films that kind of popped off after... um, why do I keep forgetting the name of the movie I just said? Not Basic Instinct, but the other one. Um, so anyways, interesting. Um, sex Lies and Videotapes. I was like, all right, let's bring it, bring more of this weird, gross, kind of gross, sexy stuff, you know? It's not what I expected at all. Have you seen it? No. Okay, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it too much. Um, but it is like, you expect to see a lot of skin and Mm -hmm. flesh and sex stuff. And there's none of that. Mm. So it's very surprising to me that it hit as hard as it did in the zeitgeist and in our memory. It's the first film, um, by Steven Soderbergh, who obviously has had a very prolific, if not uneven career, but someone who's willing to take a lot of chances it as i was watching it i was like so attracted to the visuals of it like it it's like kind of grainy it's like that that like brownish tone that was really popular in the 80s um there's like long shots of people just having conversations and the whole movie mm. it's a very very low budget film um and the whole movie is like these conversations that are happening between characters and it's like I kept being like, when is it, when is it going to happen? Even though I was like yeah. kind of enjoying it. And I was like, oh, this is the movie. So right. I think it's really interesting. Uh, I I do kind of recommend checking it out in terms of like this type of movie and what you can do, how you can create sort of like sexy sex energy without ever showing it, I think is really interesting. Right. Not with, there's not none, but there's, it's not what you think it is. Um, and then um, yeah. 
I would also recommend listening to the episode on um, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. It's the last episode of the Erotic 80s series because uh, the way that it all kind of transpired was Rob Lowe's sex tape happened, like, at the same time. And so that was... So those two things in the media became kind of entangled. And I think that's why this movie also kind of hit in a way that it probably wouldn't have otherwise. So... Anyways, interesting stuff. Oh, I've got to see that. And I've I've long had a, a crush on Laura San Giacomo. And <laughs> I have always known that I ought to watch that movie. Um, my freak out is sort of something where I was like, I don't know. Is this something I would recommend to people? And they'd say, that's not for me. But uh, Anita, you, you were telling us about the book, A Lady for a duke like mm. you'll read the bod- a bodice ripper from time to time right i will yes uh, uh, i don't love that I, but yes <laughs> yeah so it's not it's not my favorite I time watched, period you know totally totally and like so i watched queen charlotte uh which okay. is a bridgerton story and i had watched the first two seasons of bridgerton and i was like these are enjoyable like there's there's some hot stuff in them in the vein of your outlander which i am a big fan of outlander um but then they also have dances and society in a way that's like it it's almost a little too much for me like i love pride and prejudice but i feel like that's different because it is of the era and talking about like the reality of a woman having no power in the world unless she is married and that's why talking about marriage is so key to that story whereas in bridgerton it's like oh but so and so was spotted with this man and this man held the hand of that woman and what could that mean it was just a little much so i watched queen charlotte which is a prequel to uh bridgerton and it's very layered and really really impressed me i think you could very easily watch it without watching the first two seasons of bridgerton Um, And I haven't read any of the books of this series. Um, Shonda Rhimes wrote this all herself. So it's uh, inspired by characters from Julia Quinn's Bridgerton novels, but uh, there was no pre-existing Queen Charlotte novel. She came up with this backstory. Shonda did all herself. And most of it takes place uh, when the... When a young woman has become queen, she's been sent to marry King George of England, and uh, she has to kind of grapple with that. Then there are also some flashes forward to the Bridgerton timeline, where we see characters that were young women or teenage girls in the main timeline of Queen Charlotte, now as women in their 40s, 60s, and 70s. And there was something, like, people have talked about how it's very interesting to watch Bridgerton and see people of color in an aesthetic and a landscape that is not ever welcomed people of color, right? And that that's something people enjoy aesthetically. Queen Charlotte really gets into it and really gets into if we live in this world in which during the time of King George, we decided we were going to issue uh, titles, to people from India or people from Africa or people from East Asia, um, how that might affect society. And also, uh, now we're dealing with women's stories in a way that I don't think we ever really have in this kind of Regency era. Mm. So 
there, that was something that, especially in like the fifth episode, it's only six episodes, Queen Charlotte. In the fifth episode, we see a lot of flash forward to these women who are middle-aged. And that really, really struck me because it's great to have these Regency stories and see young, beautiful people saying, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have sex and it's going to be torrid and oh my goodness. But now we have women who are in their 60s who are saying, I might be a widow, but my sexuality didn't die. And what does that mean? How do I ever talk about that? Can I even have a friend? Can I even say any of these words or allude to them? And like that notion that women's stories have always been valuable and older women's stories have always been valuable, but they've never actually shown up in these aesthetics really, really struck me. Um, so I, I highly recommend Queen Charlotte. It's, it's got some of the silly kind of cheekiness of Bridgerton, but once it, once you kind of settle into that, it's telling a story that is a very intense story about mental illness. Um, that's the central part of this romance is King George has what I would assume is schizophrenia and his new bride has not been prepared for the man she's going to marry. But they develop a deep love and how this, these two people are going to navigate that love while navigating mental illness, while navigating duty to their position. And we can't just go be people who take care of each other because also if we don't engage in politics, people in my homeland might die or whatever. Like they're really getting into it in a deep way. So I was just completely uh, surprised by Queen Charlotte. I thought it was extremely layered and well done uh, and obviously very beautiful visually. <laughs> Lots of gowns, beautiful gowns. Nice. Um, yeah. So check that out if you like a... If you do like a period piece sort of thing. I tried to watch Bridgerton. It was not for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate everything that you just said, though. No, and I think that Bridgerton didn't hit any of those points for me, yeah. really. It was like a nice show. I enjoyed it in the like, oh, I'm going to sit and watch this for the next four hours. Okay. But Queen Charlotte, where I was like, oh, I think I'll rewatch this and see like, mm. oh, that scene where a black woman speaks to her son about the legacy that he represents, but they're in Regency era clothing. I was like, that's, that's really, that I just wasn't expecting to see yeah, that. Yeah. So. Well, that has been our show for today. So glad that we, we went back to the double deuce. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I started a sentence that did not have an ending. It's okay. Uh, we are professionals. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and you can follow me at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter and Instagram and fucking Blue Sky if you're on that thing that I don't really use, but I'm on. I'm Kat Spada. I'm on Twitter at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina, and Feminist Frequency is on socials at FemFreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode where we'll be talking about things involving work and life. Yeah, deep philosophical. Yeah, like it's like uh, it's like Dalton's philosophy degree in the bonus. Uh, <laughs> 
If you like the show, please help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your fave podcast app. Thanks Thanks so so much much for for listening. listening. Bye-bye.